Here's the question I have for you. What would Aaron Donald have to do to you for the thought to cross your mind and think that it's a good idea to fight this man? (laughs) I mean, for me personally, either fuck with me to the point where like I don't care anymore and it's like ready to die yeah or he messes with like my family or he messes with my girlfriend I think that's where I would draw the line Mm. but anything else I'll probably let it slide like like if he like spilled a beer on me or something I'll probably just let that slide or if he steps on my fresh jays or something I'm gonna let that slide too there's not much there's not much. <laughs> yeah, I mean, especially after the pictures of the other guy, you know, the guy that he fought came out. That on boy Twitter. got rocked. Yeah, I'm not trying. To, I'm not trying to have that face. I'm. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> You know, my, my brain went to the same space. I'm like, yeah, what would I do? Like, imagine I'm sitting at like a family cookout, sitting there with my mom's, my sister, and Aaron Donald pulls up, just goes crazy, slaps my mom, kicks my sister in the throat. <laughs> I'm gonna be like, yo, 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 yo. What did they do to deserve that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're not fighting him? That's crazy. I mean, he he's only like 6'1", though, so you're taller than him, right? Uh, you, you I mean, got, thank you, you but I am 5'11". No. No, <laughs> you're, you're six. You're, you're, I think you're over six feet, no? No, maybe on a good day. But anyways, he's only 6'1", so height-wise... You know, he's not that tall. So if you got a little height advantage on him, maybe a reach advantage. That man has more muscle in his left arm than I have in my whole body. Yeah, that, that's the issue right there. Nobody is going to be stronger than him. So you, you just got to outsmart him if you want to fight with him. And that means mm. using a weapon. Okay, grab the nearest beer bottle. Like you said, if you're at the barbecue, grab a spatula or a knife or something and just stab mm, some him. Some hot tongs. Yeah, yeah. Just, just stab him. I don't think the weapon would be sufficient unless it's like the Infinity Gauntlet. <laughs> Nap him away. Yeah. <laughs> I would need Thanos' as backup to feel good about that fight. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to episode 136 of the DFS Dose podcast, your fix of daily fantasy sports information, strategy, and analysis. I'm your host, Ben Hover, joined as I always am by Joey Carrion. And on today's show, we're going to be discussing what the addition of James Conner to Arizona's backfield does for Joey's favorite player of 2021, Chase Edmonds. We're going to be talking about some of our key takeaways from Justin Fields' second Ohio State Pro Day. And towards the end of the show, we're going to be getting into some observations we've had and what we're seeing from the business side of best ball. We always talk about the strategy and our player evaluations in best ball, but there are some interesting things going on from an industry perspective. We're going to cover that. If you're new to the podcast and like what you hear, you can support us by subscribing on whatever podcast platform you use, whether that be Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or Podcast Addict. And if you'd like to, you can find us on YouTube at the DFS Dose, where we produce fantasy content all week every week and also live stream on Mondays. Joey, before we get into what I'm sure is going to be a very calm and measured, respectful discussion about Chase Edmonds and James Conner, <laughs> I-, I want to give you the floor here to talk about your boy, to talk about Patriots legend Julian Edelman, who announced earlier this week that he would be retiring from the NFL. Yeah, I mean, it's a sad way to end Julian Edelman's career. He got cut because of a failed physical. Basically, his knees are just shot at this point in his career. So I'm sad to see him go. He was a great player for New England, and he he was one of the toughest wide receivers that I've actually watched in my whole time of watching football. Like this man would take big hit after big hit and just bounce off them like they were nothing. So Julian. 
Julian Edelman, what a guy. But if we're talking about the little Hall of Fame debate that's been going on over the last couple of days, I mean, Julian Edelman, great player. You know, great Patriots player. He's going to be in the Patriots Hall of Fame, no doubt about it. He's not going to be in the NFL Hall of Fame. He's not a Hall of Fame player. He didn't make one Pro Bowl in his career, and he didn't really set any groundbreaking stats like he's a great playoff wide receiver if there was a playoff hall of fame he's first ballot but that's not how it works and he's not an NFL hall of famer but great player nonetheless I'm not gonna lie I'm pretty surprised to hear that usually uh any chance you have to boost up these patriots you're just going I don't boost true or not I I don't boost I spit facts no boost I spit facts Let's, let's be real. You know, speaking of facts that you may or may not have uh, spit at one point, recently you said that respect ain't going to win you money. And, and I like that bar. And that right there is the crux of what I want to talk about, which is why I think that the Hall of Fame in general is meaningless, right? It does not matter. Once these guys retire from the NFL, that's cool and all, but like, I can't play you on DraftKings anymore. <laughs> okay. I can't draft you in best ball. I just, I flat out don't care personally. And then, you know, the second sort of thing that bothers me with this hall of fame debate that always pops up anytime any good to great player retires is like, who's deciding this? It's not like Jesus Christ is descending from heaven to anoint these players as worthy. It's like a bunch of media personalities and writers. To me, it, it's all just like a pointless facade. And some of the players that are in the hall of fame, some of the wide receivers are, are clearly worse than Julian Edelman. So it's a sliding scale. I, I I don't know that it's consistent at all. It's definitely not consistent, but that's taking a bigger picture look at the NFL because obviously players in the 40s and 50s and 60s aren't as good as Julian Edelman, but they were greats for that time. And I mean, they, they wouldn't inducted. even make the roster today. <laughs> yeah, they got inducted in that time, but obviously it's just all relevant to the time period that you're in. But the Hall of Fame, I mean, it's just a place where you honor the legends of the game. So I don't hate it, but some of these debates are kind of outlandish, like Julian Edelman and Eli Manning. I mean, they're not Hall of Famers. And I just think that everybody is just trying to make it something that it's not. I mean, come on. Like, like give this man a break. He retires and, and the general consensus is everyone trying to tear him down and be like, yeah, he was good and all, but he wasn't great. Like one that yeah. I kept seeing on Twitter was it's the Hall of Fame, not the Hall of Very Good, which <laughs> by the way, that's pretty funny. But also it's not the Hall of Great either. It's the Hall of Fame. So yeah. wh- how about we start getting some famous players that are maybe not even like good in there? Like let's get, you know, Mark Sanchez butt fumble. That's one of the most famous plays ever. If we're just strictly talking fame, like if we're going to be literal about it. A Hall of Fame of uh, NFTs for the NFL. Mm, I I like where your head is at. I like where your head is at. (laughs) All right. That's that's good on that. Let's get into uh, a little bit of fantasy talk here. And, you know, if you've been watching our streams at all, Joey's boy this year is Chase Edmonds. And uh, we talked about it. We've kind of even alluded to it before the signing happened on our latest stream. And then it became official on Tuesday that James Conner would be added to the Arizona Cardinals backfield. How do you feel that this is going to affect Chase Edmonds's value in fantasy? I feel like I know what you're going to say. <laughs> okay. It will affect his value, obviously. They're adding another running back that's going to get touches. And I I said this on the stream or on the podcast, can't really remember which one it was, but I said that, yes, they are going to add a running back, but I'm not scared of any of these running backs that are left on free agency at the time. James Conner, Todd Gurley, etc. I'm not scared of James Conner. I don't think he's a good running back. I think he's solid. I think he's going to come in and have, you know, a two down roll with the Cardinals. Do I think 
he's going to get the 260-plus touches that Kenyon Drake has left? No. This is also a guy that can't stay healthy. He's missed at least three games in every season for the last three years and missed two games in his first year but barely played, so it doesn't really matter. Chase Edmonds has missed three games in his entire career. Not not too worried about... Big career stats guy. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> In terms of missed games, yes. Obviously, Mm -hmm. what they did in 2018 and 2019 in the actual stat book, rushing yards, receiving yards, doesn't really matter. If I had to project it out right now, I think that Chase Edmonds and James Conner will go into a 60-40 split in terms of rushing attempts. I'll give the 60% to James Conner. Could be swayed a little bit um, towards like 55-45, but I'll go with 60-40 for the rushing uh, attempts projections. And then in terms of running back targets, 85-80% to Chase Edmonds. 15 to 20 percent James Conner and I think that's where Chase Edmonds value still comes from is that he's going to be a factor in the passing game for the Cardinals offense so if Chase Edmonds is going to get all of the passing down work like I'm expecting and some of the rushing work I still think he's a very good pick in fantasy football this year all right, that, that's pretty fair. I mean, I honestly thought that you were going to be a little less bullish on James Conner. I'm surprised to hear you give him a 60% projection in terms of their rushing. And that's kind of... If he stays healthy. Well, yeah, and you mentioned you know, that he's missed games over the last three years every single year. But, you know, since entering the league, Chase Edmonds has, you know, two seasons with under 100 total touches and a career high of 150. Since 2018, James Conner's lowest touch count, wait for it, lowest touch count was 150, which is Chase Edmonds's career high. And that was in a season, by the way, that like you alluded to, he missed games. He missed six games in that season and and still had a a low of what Edmonds high is. So the thing about Connor that I think gives him value is the fact that he has heart. Okay. I know that you don't respect him as a person or for what he's been through, (laughs) but I do. Okay. This is a man who is younger than I am right now when he was told by a doctor that he had a week to live. Okay, this man beat cancer, and that's the first thing that favors Connor. He has the will to win in life. I don't know if Chase Edmonds has that. He didn't even have the will to overtake a backfield from Kenyon Drake last season. I mean, (laughs) you're pretty funny, but I I got some rebuttals Mm -hmm. to that. James Connor does have the build of a workhorse running back, right? I think we can agree on that. He's 6'1", 233. Chase Edmonds is what? 5'9", 210. Mm-hmm. So he's kind of a smaller back, and he's viewed as a change of pace back in the NFL and by a lot of fantasy football analysts. But if we go back and look at Chase Edmonds' college stats, for his first three years in Fordham, he had 250 rush attempts in each year. For his first three years in college, 20 plus touchdowns in each season, 1,600 plus rushing yards in each of his first three seasons in college, and then throw in 19 plus receptions in each of his first three seasons in college. He missed a couple games in his senior year, didn't really miss any games in his first three years. So this is actually a guy that is capable of handling a big workload. He showed it in college in his freshman year, 300 plus touches. 280 touches in his sophomore year, 275 touches in his junior year in college. 
It just was unfortunate that he got drafted by the Cardinals. David Johnson was there. Then they bring in Kenyon Drake, and they had David Johnson. And then last year, Kenyon Drake was expected to be the workhorse. And we know Cliff Kingsbury is kind of a donkey, is he not? Oh, he is. So I'm not really knocking Chase Edmonds for not getting touches because in the touches he got, he's productive. He's a productive player. 97 rushing attempts last year, 448 yards. 4.6 yards per attempt, 5.1 yards per attempt in 2019, and then obviously he had 53 catches last year. So I'm not knocking the touches. I think he is capable of being a workhorse. That's just me. I know a lot of people disagree. I mean, it's fair to point out, though, that like being a 5'9", running back and getting all those touches is different in college than it is in the NFL. Well, yeah, 100%. I I agree. But I'm just saying like he's capable of being a workhorse, I think, even at five nine two ten. Right. Uh, I mean, I, I think that that's possible. And all trolling aside, I think both of us are in agreement that Chase Edmonds is a more talented back at this point in their he's career, a and starter. he's more versatile. However, you know, I reached out to friend of the show, James Brimacombe, before this. I haven't had a chance myself to hop in any drafts since uh, this news came out. James has, obviously, and uh, he let me know where these guys are going right now in drafts. And what he told me was that Edmonds is still going in the sixth, seventh round. And we're looking at Connor as a ninth through 11th round type of player. So if those are the valuations and both of us kind of think that Connor might see 60% of the workload and some receptions. I don't I don't know if I necessarily believe that Edmonds is a good value anymore. Um, I, I think that that needs to drop for him to be a good value because regardless of the receptions, which I do think are there, I feel like you're overpaying for somebody who might be in like a Tariq Cohen role and you can get Cohen 10 rounds later, right? I mean, Kyler Murray is going to be a factor at the goal line and you would think that Connor would be a bigger factor at the goal line than Edmonds too. So while the receptions will be there and while the per touch efficiency will probably be there over James Connor, I just don't know if he's going to have the touchdown upside to really pay off a sixth, seventh round ADP if that doesn't fall any further. Yeah. I mean, I could definitely see that with, with the touchdowns. I, I don't think that Chase Edmonds is a candidate to score like 10 plus touchdowns in a season, especially with James Connor there now. I don't think either of them will score 10 touchdowns, to be honest. But just in terms of his ADPs in the seventh round, yeah, I mean, that's still kind of high, but I wouldn't necessarily look at it in terms of what round he's going in. I'm looking at it in terms of where he's being drafted out of the running back Mm -hmm. pool. So if he's still being drafted as the RB 27, and let's say he slips down to the RB 30, just to make it a nice even number, I think he's still a value because I believe Chase Edmonds is going to finish as an RB2. So would would you be taking him ahead of guys, like just say theoretically in that range, like you know, Raheem Mostert, Jeff Wilson Jr., the Bucks running backs. Um, I mean, that was before the Geo News, but, you know, Rojo, Fournette, guys in that range. Is Edmund still clear cut ahead of them for you? I mean, for me, yes. Okay. I'm not scared of James Conner. I think he's the backup. One year, $1.75 million. That's backup money. I just think Chase Edmonds is a more talented running back at this point, has receiving upside, like we mentioned. And then just in terms of best ball, I think he has a higher ceiling than James Conner, who I believe will strictly just be a one-two grinder in between the tackles. We'll see how that role works out because it didn't work out with Kenyon Drake and it didn't work out with David Johnson either. Would you consider drafting James Conner if we're talking about an 11th, 10th round price tag, or is that too rich? Uh, I mean, 
God, I mean, I drafted James Conner in like the fourth round last year. <laughs> yeah, that was your so, boy. You liked him before. Well, he had all the of the opportunity in Pittsburgh until you know everybody found out that he was trash, hmm. myself included. This past season, started losing work to running backs that probably shouldn't even be in the NFL at this point. I can't let you do another Benny like that. We got to stick together. <laughs> 11th round, I, I guess it would, for me, it would be how your roster construction is. Like if you hammered wide receivers early, then I would go with James Conner as kind of like a, a zero RB candidate. But other than that, I'm probably not targeting him for all of the reasons that we mentioned. I just view him as kind of like a, a middling floor type of guy. No high ceiling, kind of how I'm viewing him this year. But I mean, the offensive environment for James Conner is good. And we, we know that in the red zone and on the goal line with those read options, they could go to Kyler obviously they did last year but those could also just go to the running back too it's just all about whether if Kyler wants to hand the ball off or not and so if Connor were to get like six or seven or eight of those you know one yard carries at the goal line he's gonna score eight touchdowns so Mm -hmm. I, I agree I mean I think that there's definitely some upside in Connor and he's gonna be going around guys like Tony Pollard Alexander Madison and I he'll probably have a bigger week to week role than those guys and yeah I offers similar upside if Edmonds were to ever get hurt. Connor has been a pass catcher in the past, so I don't think it's outside of his his realm of a skill set. Like, I just don't expect them to use him over Edmonds. But if Edmonds goes yeah. down, well, then James Connor is low-key a smash in, in the 10th, yeah. 11th round. Yeah, I agree. But I also think it's more likely that James Connor goes down and that Chase Edmonds is the clear-cut guy for four or three games um, in the season. And depending on when those games come, they could be very valuable mm. depending on you know what site you're playing on or if you're in your fantasy football playoffs when redraft comes. So That's fair. And yeah, Connor might go down, but he won't stay down. I mean, <laughs> he didn't look too good last year, so we'll see. We will see indeed. All right, let's move into Justin Fields, another player that I know you're bullish on for this year. He had a second pro day yesterday from when you guys are listening to this on April 14th, and there were a lot of teams that were confirmed to be in attendance, teams with high draft picks, the Jets, the 49ers, the Falcons, the Lions, the Broncos, even the Patriots were there, although they would definitely need to trade up to be in the Justin Fields range. From what we had been hearing previously and, and sort of leading up to these past few weeks is that the Jets are 100% taking Zach Wilson and the 49ers are taking Mac Jones. But both of these teams were in attendance at this pro day. My theory is that it was all smoke all along. Justin Fields was never going to fall. You and I and Matt Hicks and everybody we've had on this podcast to talk about it has been like, well, Justin Fields has the upside. He should be viewed higher. And I think that he actually is. These teams were just hoping that they could put out media to to make him fall. And I, I just don't believe that he will fall. I don't think Justin Fields is going to fall past pick four. Mm. Um, and if we're being completely honest, he should be the second overall pick to the Jets. Now, I don't know if that will happen. Maybe it will. Truly, I just don't think we know what's going to happen with this draft. Everybody wants to act like they do. And let's say that the draft is going to start at pick three, yada, yada, yada. No, we just don't know what's going on in the NFL team's front offices, right? We don't know what's going on in their war rooms and their scouting departments and who they like and who they don't like and their evaluations on these quarterbacks. You know, we can make our educated guesses and whatnot and watch 
film on YouTube or, or whatever. And if we're doing that, everything points to Justin Fields being the second best quarterback in this draft. So it would not surprise me if he goes to the Jets. It would not surprise me if he goes to the Niners, which is where I currently would project him to go. And every every team, you know, they're, they're just trying to use some draft tactics, maybe rise some guys like Mac Jones so another team can fall on you know a Mac Jones type of guy that doesn't have that high of a ceiling Uh, maybe the same thing with Zach Wilson to the Jets maybe they're like oh somebody will try and uh, trade up for him now and we could still get our guy and and accumulate some picks there's a lot of uh, stuff that we don't know Justin Fields he could go too and he could fall to pick nine or pick 10, but I think he's 100% going in the top 10. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree wholeheartedly. So here, here's another theory I have about it. I don't know if you caught this story. It was like a brief news story at some point a couple weeks ago where Dan Orlovsky made some like unfounded accusations against Justin Fields, like said he wasn't a good leader or he wasn't super engaged or, or something along those lines. Orlovsky used to be Stafford's backup for Detroit ever you know the Lions are putting out all this nonsense like they're gonna take a wide receiver I think the Lions were hoping to maybe besmirch Justin Fields name a little bit so that he could fall and they use their pawn in the media to do so yeah I mean <laughs> I mean if he if he falls to the Lions we've said it the Lions have to take him no Oh, like, 100%. That, that's a smash pick. You don't even take the full five minutes. You hand the card in within the first 15 seconds if he's still on the board at seven. Facts. <laughs> so maybe, maybe. The media is a very uh, twisted place, mm. and I, I could see I could see uh, any of these little theories are happening 100%. Yeah, I'm, so, something's going on. The, the one thing that I will say, and like we talk about this at various times throughout the year, it's like you have to look at what these teams are Uh, doing not what they're saying because they definitely are lying one thing i will say about what i noticed from the teams that went to this pro day is that the panthers were not there i think that this is almost a definitive proof that darnold is locked in as qb1 for carolina like they didn't even go to the pro day how 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 much does pro days matter do they really matter all the all that much i don't think so not necessarily the throwing on the field but it's a time for these coaching staffs or gms or whomever to like talk to the person and get to know the person i think that that's the the actual biggest factor of these pro days personally do they actually talk to them i mean i don't know they do 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 they do they get to have a a good amount of time with them probably not right not as much time as you would like as a as a head coach or gm did they go to the first pro day uh matt rule and joe brady that is potentially i i I don't know i i mean we could look it up but i don't know if they went to the first pro day if they did then there's no point for them to go to the second pro day pro days for quarterbacks are just them throwing in a t-shirt and shorts to wide receivers that they have played with with no defense like let's be real they really don't matter that much if one of these quarterbacks falls trey lance or justin fields falls the Panthers are smash drafting him mm. with the eighth pick, I, I believe. You can't bake on a career bust at this point, turning his career around with one year left in his deal or two if they want to pick up his rookie option. I don't I don't think that's smart, and I don't think the Panthers will do that. Mm. You know what? That's actually a pretty good point. I agree. But with the way that the Falcons are there and, and the Lions, I, I just I think that if somebody wants Justin Fields, they might have to trade up at this point. You're going to have to trade up for him if you want. And I've been seeing a lot of mocks where, you know, a couple different teams trade up for him. And I've seen some mocks where Justin Fields falls to the Lions or to Carolina. So 
we're just going to have to wait and see. We have, what, two weeks? About two weeks. After this podcast comes out. It's going to be a fun time, and we're going to have some props for, for the listeners next week. Yeah, absolutely. That was a fun show to do last year, and that's what we're going to be talking about next week. You know, I, w- I personally, my, my last theory I'll, I'll get off here is that I think that it's possible slash probable that this draft goes five quarterbacks straight. Maybe not with the teams currently in order. Obviously, the Bengals aren't taking a quarterback, but they could easily trade down, especially if they're not trading down far, like trade down with the Lions or the Broncos or something like that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the Falcons could take a guy or, or Washington is supposedly in the market to trade up for Trey Lance. Like, I would not be surprised at all if one through five are all quarterbacks. And that could be a, in a, a historic draft. I'm super looking forward to this. Yeah, and you could probably get some pretty good odds on that too, just, you know, previewing a bet that we might make of the first five picks being quarterbacks because like you said the Bengals why wouldn't they trade down to seven or eight or nine you know they'll probably still get their guy because that team trading up is probably going to draft a quarterback and they'd accumulate more picks it would it would be smart for them and same thing with the Falcons so I definitely think the draft order now won't be the draft order in two weeks I could definitely see five quarterbacks being drafted in a row for the first time ever in NFL history something to keep an eye on all right final topic for episode 136 here I wanted to look at sort of what we're seeing in the best ball industry from a business perspective because these companies are shifting all the time and they're making moves and it, it should be something I think that people who play best ball and who are interested in best ball take focus of because it's going to shift where the format goes over the next couple of years. Something that Joey and I have both noted um, at length on our streams is that it appears drafters who, you know, last year they were pretty new in town, right? Like they were the new guys and they launched the first best ball tournament. And then all these other companies followed suit. It kind of seemed like drafters was going to be, you know, at the forefront and they've kind of fallen off. And what we're seeing right now is their early best ball championship, which has a a field of 6,000 is only 2,200 deep right now. And it ends in two weeks. So this is going to be a pretty big chance for some guaranteed overlay. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's going to be a ton of overlays. So if you're listening to this, I would just go and fire multiple entries into that tournament. And we talked about it to end the stream as well, which you can find on our YouTube channel at the DFS dose at the end of that about uh, their tournament on drafters. But I I mean, I, I like drafters as a platform and I like that it's full PPR, which is why I kind of go more more towards that than some other best ball sites but they're obviously doing something wrong right if we're just comparing them to let's say underdog i i just don't think they market their product well on social media obviously it doesn't look like they had many investors into the company and i, I think all of that is kind of hurting them now strategy wise i don't really want to get into that because you know that's kind of like free strategy right like, like you got no. you, like you gotta pay us for that <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> yeah yeah but um i think they'll go this season but i it's hard to envision them being around in a year or two i i i think would be my my prediction unless they change some things in the back end right look i want to give drafters their props you know we have had a working relationship with them you know i used to do videos for their youtube channel i feel like i'm still pretty cool with the the guys who work over there like we've talked on the phone like i I know zach over at drafters the ceo he's a cool guy but they are failing at what underdog is doing exceptionally well which is marketing and expanding and and creating partnerships with companies that you know matter 
Like, for example, I was just on Player Profiler a few moments ago looking at Chase Edmonds, and it has his underdog ADP listed now with the stats. That w- that's a new addition. So they've partnered with Player Profiler. Um, they have uh, Josh Norris and Hayden Winks, formerly of Roto World, as you know, a podcast department now for their best ball product. They just brought over Jack Settleman, who's you know big into crypto. He does Club Top Shot with Peter Overzet. By the way, if you want to check out an interview that we did with Pete Manzanelli, check that out on the YouTube. Real funny shit on there. But um, I don't know. Underdog has clearly the marketing budget. Uh, clearly the partnerships they you know worked with. Levine, the former, you know, creator of DraftKings and they have Mark Cuban as an investor. It just seems like it's going to be really difficult for these companies that don't have the capital to match what Underdog has clearly come in and, and brought to really sustain. Now, even companies like DraftKings and FanDuel, which, you know, had a semi-successful best ball product, they had huge tournaments last year, like a Millie Maker on DK uh, for best ball. They're not offering tournaments in the early months. And we talked about this last season. Like, why are these people continually fumbling the bag? Underdog, you know, the my biggest issue with Underdog is that it's half PPR, like you said. But from a marketing perspective, from a fact that they're developing a media branch and, and a promotional branch and they're partnering with established companies, I think Underdog, who came out after Drafters, has clearly positioned themselves to survive as a best ball platform in the long run. I definitely agree and obviously they do have a bigger budget and that's easier when you have you know a billionaire invested in your company and multiple other people invested in the company like Matthew Dellavedova who played in the NBA for the Cavs, Adam Schefter, even some guys in the DFS space like Al Zeidenfeld, Jonathan Bales, Peter Overzet. So when you have all of these guys and all of these companies and all of these partnerships, the budget definitely helps. And obviously, Underdog is doing a great job with expanding their company as well and capitalizing on the need for a premier best ball company because best ball, I think, is a growing form of fantasy football. I don't think best ball will ever take over redraft or DFS and even dynasty. I just think there is still enough action in best ball for there to be a premier best ball site and underdog is shaping up to be that site. If we're comparing underdog and drafters, I think underdog's website looks better. I think their app looks better and that's a big thing. Functionality obviously is a big thing with sites and and trying to keep your consumers after you get them on your app. And I think underdog is doing a better job at that. Well, let's get, let's shoot drafters a little bit of bail. Like, I mean, we've done several drafts on both sites for our streams and we've only ever had technical difficulties on underdog. Well, yeah, it's, it's mainly just me. (laughs) (laughs) Fair. I've had difficulties for sure, mainly with the clock, but yeah. I mean, that's definitely an issue, and if I reached out to them, they, they would probably fix it. just don't really care enough to, to reach out. But I, I was just more so saying, like, the the looks-wise right. and the everything behind and, yeah. that. Yeah, I think that's a, bit, a big part of um, successful companies is how they brand their product. And Underdog obviously has done a, a great job. And if we're just going back to DraftKings and, like, FanDuel, you know, I, I just think they don't care about best ball. DFS isn't going anywhere. They know people are going to fire bullets into these tournaments that have 15% rake. Right. They know that come NFL season, people are going to be firing in the Millie Maker because it fills every week. 
200,000 entries, however much rake, 14, 13%. And they know people are still going to play in these tournaments. They, they know what they have in DFS. And I think having best ball, they'll probably have it again, uh, is good because you still get that action unless it overlays. Then it hurts your company. Uh, maybe it doesn't. Who knows? We'll have to see. I don't know. It's just they, they don't care. They are they make so much money off of DFS. Why would they go into best ball? You know, I, that, 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 that's, that's, that's probably a, how they look at yeah, it. Yeah, that, that's that, fair, especially because they're also like working on like sports betting legalization across like the country, which is like just an ungodly amount of money. Like best ball is like a, a, Arizona just became legal. Yeah. And, and they, they have a huge population. They have like the a top 15 population yeah. in the country. So that's definitely a factor. DFS is huge. And it's probably only going to get bigger with um, DraftKings and FanDuel. I mean, they just get more popular by the year. And like I mentioned, best ball isn't really a, a popular thing right now. Like if you just go on the general fantasy Twitter, like you can you can get there. We're kind of in like our own little bubble with like specific content creators and DFS content creators and a, a bunch of sharp people that we follow or that we interact with. If we just go to like the people that are strictly on there, you know, following Adam Schefter and maybe some like more generic fantasy football accounts, and these people have two followers, three followers, don't interact with anybody, they don't know what best ball is. And, you know, some of the people in our space don't even play best ball or might not have any interest in best ball. Like I actually saw a thread and they're like, why are you drafting right now? It it was, it was with a tweet thread with, um, the dude from Yahoo or he used to work with Yahoo. I I don't know his name. I think it was Brad Evans. Oh yeah. yeah, 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 On on Twitter. He has a, he has a pretty big following, like 200,000 followers. And he uh, was talking about, I think it might've been like the Chase Edmonds or James Conner or, or something in that regards. And, And people are like, yo, why are you drafting right now? Like the drafts don't start till August. So a lot of people still don't even know what best ball is. And I, I think that's why DraftKings and FanDuel, they'll run best ball tournaments, but that's not going to be their main priority because they know what they have and they're going to focus on making what they have the best it can be and make sure that they just capitalize on that consumer market instead of trying to take players from all of these other apps because who knows, they'll probably lose money by running best ball again. Mm. I mean, that's honestly a good point. And that's what we saw with DraftKings last year is like they had the big tournament, but at a certain point when they realized it wasn't going to fill, they started like giving away hundreds of entries at a time. They're like, hey, all you got to do is retweet this and you can have an entry in. And that's why it was some of the (laughs) softest action. And that was cool for us, like sharper people, but it wasn't good for them. And I could see why maybe they're a little hesitant to go about it, especially when you look at DraftKings and like the amount of money they spend on advertising, like what is going to bring them more new users, which would be the ultimate goal of like promoting a tournament? Can we spend all of these hundreds of millions of dollars on advertising or do we run a best ball tournament to get a few niche weirdos on the site? Like, I don't know. I think I think that that's a good point that you make. And I think that there are other focuses for DK and FanDuel. So really what, what I think we see is uh, you know Underdog really establishing itself and sort of setting itself up to be the premier site for yes. best ball and you know yes. shout out to drafters again like i don't i don't want any beef like i really oh, I like drafters like it's yeah. personally my favorite to use but god I don't, I don't know man they they gotta they gotta turn it around hit my line guys like let's work together i mean this is just talking business you know yeah drafters is my favorite best ball site to draft on i don't mind underdog if it was full ppr i'm not gonna lie i would probably be strictly underdog mm-hmm. obviously drafters they had some good tournaments last year this tournament that they have running right 
right now it is a solid tournament six thousand dollars to first going to be a bunch of overlay going to be firing more bullets into that yeah i mean i like drafters it's you know just what we're talking about is the the reality yeah and And it's becoming more and more niche drafters like i was having a conversation with um I'm actually not going to name his name because perhaps he likes uh, anonymity, but he is a frequent drafter on drafters. Like if you're in the lobbies, you'll have seen him in your drafts 100%. And he was telling me like, you know, I'm starting to wonder about drafters because I swear like out of every draft, six of them are always the same people. It's like always the same sharps in every draft. So it's like, how much edge do I have when I'm drafting against such serious players on underdog? At least there's more of a casual drafting experience. Like underdog is about to fill their second tournament with 5,800 person field or something like that. And drafters is struggling to even fill one. So I don't know. I I don't know. I, I hope the best for drafters. I hope they can get some improvement in their marketing budget, but UD is is winning the battle of uh, of the market right now. Yeah, I mean, tough to see, but that's the reality of the situation. Yeah, I mean, you know, maybe if they had uh, kept my videos coming, we'd. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. Just kidding, guys. Um, listen. I I do have one last thing that I want to say before we close out this show. I was talking to, again, friend of the show, James Brimacombe, in the DMs the other day. I kind of wish he hadn't tweeted this out. Like, I was was trying to keep it on the low, but he got so excited he couldn't help himself. So now, all right, now that it's already out in the public, my idea, I'm going to double down on it, make sure it's on public record. So if any of you motherfuckers try and steal my concept, I will roast you for eternity. You heard it here first, okay? Best ball marketplace. Imagine this, Joe. You draft a team. All right. Right now, you're drafting in March. You get Terrace Marshall in the 18th round. Okay. Oh, that's pretty good. That's good value for you. Uh, You know, it sets up well for this tournament later in the year. He gets drafted to like the Chiefs or or whatever elite landing spot he goes to. And, you know, suddenly by the time August comes around, he's going in the sixth, seventh round, something like that. Imagine if you could put that team up for sale in a 24-7 best ball marketplace. You could auction off the team. People could bet on it. And if they win or if they buy the team straight up from you, that becomes their entry into the tournament. Imagine that. Just think about how much people love flipping and buying digital assets these days. Tell me this is not a freaking great idea. <laughs> I mean, I, I just, I, I don't know. What do you mean? You I don't, don't know how I feel about it because I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I just don't know. Like the exchange of teams. I wonder how that would work with the sites. Would there have to be like a, like a process you know, you have to fill out a form or something on underdog or, or whatever to send your team to, to my account. I just wonder how that logistical situation would work. I would wonder how many people would put their teams up for sale if they had that value in, let's say, $100,000 to first contest if there's ever that big of a tournament. I don't think a lot of people would sell it unless it was for a crazy amount of money. You know, it could work. I'll say that. It, it could work. We're seeing digital horses getting bought and sold and bred. We're we're seeing dunks getting sold for $50,000. I'm not putting it out the realm of possibility. Let's just say that. I mean, any any and everything is possible, right? Like At this this point, This dude, Pete Manzanelli, sold uh, an NFT of a physical representation of a digital representation of a cryptocurrency for $9,000 the other day. You know, four point two e. Someone bought that. I, amazing. But but just taking it back to the best ball thing, like I think that there's legit merit in this. Like imagine last year when people were drafting Clyde Edwards-Hilaire in the seventeenth, eighteenth round in March. 
Like, what would those teams be worth if you could sell them to people when he was going in the first round? Like, I probably would have bought some. I, I think that it's just, it would just be another level to add. And I think that Underdog could figure out a way to do it. Like, I, I don't see why not. You couldn't just go through your list of teams that you've drafted and list them in a marketplace that people could use their Underdog balance to buy things. And I just, I don't see why that would be difficult to do at all. I mean, I'm sure there would be some coding logistics, but I mean, I think it's possible. And I, I actually think it might be the future. And when it is, give me my fucking credit. That's all you want is credit? You don't even want a paycheck? Well, yeah, I want a paycheck. I don't want the credit. I want the fucking bread. Well, yeah, I want the bread too, but like, I don't know how to code this stuff. Like, so at this <laughs> point, I got to, uh, I got to, you know, trademark it or something. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, you just got to go on the blockchain and build it out. Yeah, all right. Devote all your time to figuring out how to build a best ball marketplace and yeah. become rich. Listen, if anybody out there thinks they know how to do that, hit me up. We will, we'll, we'll, we'll figure it out. Okay, <laughs> man. All right. So it's been said in stone. You heard it here on this podcast. So if anybody tries to steal this idea, seriously, I will roast you for all of eternity. Okay. I know <laughs> that, that's all I'm going to say on that, but that is going to be it for episode 136 of the DFS dose podcast. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at the DFS dose. I'm at Ben Hover. Joey's at Joey Carrion DFS new episodes of the podcast drop every thursday on spotify apple soundcloud and every other podcast platform on the internet we will be back next week thursday april 22nd with episode 137 and go over some draft props for the 2021 draft make sure you check out our live streams every monday on the youtube channel if you're listening out there we appreciate you we value you until next time let's stay accountable and keep it authentic Bye.